Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Uncle Dad Talks. I'm Uncle Dad, and with me, as always, is the ever so charming Mike Hampton. Mike, what's up? Hey, what's happening, everybody? Good night. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It is 2022, the first episode of 2022. Exciting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really exciting issue, uh, issue. a really exciting episode, because uh, we'll get to that in a second, I guess, but this is probably the biggest guest of 2022 so far. <laughs> it is the biggest guest we've had this year. Yes, <laughs> of 2022. <laughs> of 2022. Yes. But before we dive into that, as always, we've got to pay the bills. And how do we pay the bills? We talk about sponsors. Now, as always, uh, all promo codes is uh, lowercase Uncle Dad Talks. That saves you 25% off each sponsor. And those sponsors include Raise Energy by Rep Sports. Go to reppsports.com. Uh, get some of the best energy drinks around. Uh, after you're done getting all hyped up, come bring it down by using Cloudy. Go to trycloudy.com using promo code Uncle Dad Talks. Uh, all lowercase, get 25% off on the best sleeping product around. And of course, if you just got a sweet tattoo like Mike did, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just guessing. But if you did, uh, you can get the best tattoo care around at protectyourink.com. Uh, yeah, so that's out the way. Mike, what's up? I did get a sweet tattoo. Did you? Yeah. Does it does it say Uncle Dad? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know. It sucks. Um, you know what's funny? I was actually thinking about getting one in, in New Orleans, too, actually. I know a guy. Do you know a guy in New Orleans? Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll have to uh, we'll have to check that out. Idle Hands, we'll a magazine in the Garden District. We'll be right there. So, well, let's go. Let's get you tatted. Let's, let's get me tatted, bruh. Let's get let's get a microphone on your on your neck. Uh, I was thinking right here, but okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Close enough. So he showed Close his enough, arm. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So today's guest is. I, I, and I really say this, probably one of the most talented guests we've had ever on the show. Uh, and we've had some talented people on the show. But the name may not be familiar to you, and that's okay. Because when I tell you who he's worked with, and I tell you tell you all the things he's done, it's going to blow your mind whole. Sir, we are speaking to probably a modern-day legend of the music-producing and songwriting world, Sam Barsh. Now, Mike... Who just named three names that Sam Barsh has worked with? Uh, someone by the name of Kendrick Lamar. Someone what? by the name of Kanye West. What? Someone by the name of Anderson Pack. Those are pretty big names. Those are some good names. <laughs> yes, some good names do you, indeed. This, do you like those names? I'm sorry. I love those. I'm actually a big fan of Anderson Pack. Uh, yeah. I like Kendrick. Kendrick is hit or miss for me, but I do like, I respect him a lot. Um, some of the names you didn't mention that he's worked with. He's worked with Aesop Ferg, Aesop Rocky. I actually like those two a lot. He's worked with The Weeknd. I love The Weeknd. I mean, this guy, you name it, has pretty much worked with some of the biggest artists currently. He's worked with some legends too, like Macy Gray. Remember that name? Mm-hmm. He's a three-time Grammy winner, which is insane. He's been nominated for nine Grammys. He's um, 17 times uh, gold and platinum records. He has four number one Billboard uh, number one on the Billboard charts. I mean... Mike, how many number ones do you have? <laughs> on the billboard charts? On the billboard charts. What, are you trying to cut me down in front of all of our listeners? <laughs> That's what you're doing? You're off to this nice, I know, you're off to a nice start this year. <laughs> Come on, is that a love? 
but yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's quite the honor and pleasure to have this gentleman on and I'm excited to talk music. You know, we've talked to other people in the music industry, but what's really exciting about at this particular guest, and I don't know if you would agree with this, Mike, is that this is like our first guest that's really behind the scenes rather than in front of it. What do you, is that true? I think so. Um, yeah, like you said, not, not too many people would, might not know his name, but I think, you know, obviously they know the names that we just dropped. And, and probably the songs. And so a lot of times, unless you're a, a Dr. Dre type, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to know the guy who's who's actually making the music that uh, that you're listening to with a lot of hip hop, particularly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially like you said, it right, like unless you're like a Dr. Dre type or like maybe you're like a, a Diplo, right? Like you're out there DJing too. Um, I know he does do his own music too. He had a group called the Sam Barsh Trio, which I don't know if they're still around. We'll have to ask him, but... Yeah, I know he's a, just a talented man, and I'm very excited to speak to him, and uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit, and it's going to be tons of fun. And before we do that, though, Mike, we've got to announce something. Yeah. You already know what I'm going to announce, hopefully, I think, and that is the launch of our Patreon. Uh, Patreon officially launches January 15th when this comes out, which will be this, which would be the 7th, I believe. Next week, it launches, and what it launches with is a lot of content, man. We have... We have deleted episodes coming back. We have unaired episodes coming. We have added experiences to the episodes we have. There's going to be video coming. Um, we have four brand new shows that you can only get there. Uh, and I'll run them down then real quick. The first one is with me and uh, your beloved friend, uh, the Retro Gaming Nomad, uh, who you destroyed in Bruce Willis trivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have a show called The Game Papas, where we talk about video games. Uh, that's going to be just in, so much fun, as we know how passionate I am about that. Uh, we have uh, the Uncle Dad Archives coming, where you get to hear episodes that have been deleted and or, or have never aired before. And there's some good ones. There's one specific one I know you've always wanted to come back, and now you'll finally get the chance to hear it again, Mike. And we have an episode, a show with you and I. Uh, we'll see how long we do it for, but we have it. And it's called Tipsy Tourism, where you and I, when we travel, we'll do touristic, tour, touristy things and be under influences. <laughs> under influences of, of things. Yes. It's going to be fun. A new, a new yeah. partake of tourism. And of course, we cannot forget, uh, probably the, the show I'm most excited for next to, uh, next to anything else is uh, your dear friend, and uh, I guess my, my dear friend now, Tion Buku One Torrance, is going to be having an exclusive show. Uh, if you don't know who Buku One is, he was actually on our show before. He is an MC legend, Bay Area icon. I mean, he's done. He's worked with Dell. He's worked with the Hieroglyphics. I mean, Sada X, who's also been on our show. I mean, this guy has done it all, and he's going to have an exclusive show only available on our network, and that is called Arts to Empire, where he speaks to other people in the arts industry that kind of built a business model uh, on their on their passions. So get ready for that, because there are some big, big names in that list uh, of people, of course. And here's the best part, Mike. To get access to everything, everything, all you got to pay is just a minimum of $15. If that's too much, that's totally fine. You can even do a minimum of $10. The only thing is the $10 brand, $10 level doesn't get you access to Tion's, or sorry, to Buku's uh, show. So just keep that in mind. If you want the fullest experience, you can just pay 15 bucks and then you'll get access to everything. Now, if you want even more stuff, 
even more uh, collectible goodies, more videos, more pictures. We have tiers that are $40 a month and tiers that are $125 a month. And let me tell you, they are going to come include with some crazy stuff because the ideas I have, Mike, of the merch I'm going to make is going to be crazy. And one of them is an A-Track. Is a what? An A-Track. <laughs> you have an A-Track? <laughs> I am working on an A-Track for us, and it's going to be an exclusive episode that you and I make only available on A-Track. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, let's I do it. I didn't even know we that was a possibility. Yep, I've already reached out to it. It's, it's we're getting that on the, on the on the docket, man. But yeah, we have a lot of great stuff. So please support the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. And again, it can start as low as ten bucks. And uh, go to patreon.com forward slash Uncle Dad Talks. Uh, but don't take my word for it, Mike. Tell them why they should sign up one last time. Well, there's lots of other bonuses that you can get, including uh, limited edition prints. Uh, limited edition artwork um, and you know who knows maybe there's even a, a special uh, one one time special show that'll turn up uh, for the top tier level so Ooh. you know I'm tickling your ass with a feather right now <laughs> indeed you are sir That's right. so without further ado thank you so much for, for listening everybody we'll start the show and we'll be right back after this break remember patreon.com forward slash uncle dad talks we'll be right back <laughs> hey how's it going my name is tion buku one i'm a skateboarding graffiti writing bowling son of a black panther and i'm yula <laughs> and we are the co-hosts of the black russian podcast our podcast is a deep dive into relationships from monogamy, non-monogamy, open, poly, and whatever other labels that us wacky humans come up with. Let's go beyond the assumptions, beyond the stigmas, stereotypes, and most definitely beyond the judgment. We share our highs, lows, face plans, and triumphs of trying to love in ways that fit us individually while we continue our journey through life together. With topics like yuck and yums, poly trendy, how does it really feel, and tour life, tour wife, we discuss how to build and define relationships that are tailor-made for you. Let's talk about it. Let's be honest. All from a soulful perspective. So... Now let's be clear. <laughs> let's we don't advocate clear. any one relationship style over the other. Nah. We advocate any and all relationships that encourage truth, honesty, and the freedom to do it how you do it. Deconstruct decolonize and rebuild in your own way with a black russian podcast available wherever you get your podcasts all right everybody we are back uh, with our very special guest the ever so talented you know i already said all your merits uh so i'm not gonna say them again but man you are so talented sam barsh thank you guys so much for having me i appreciate the intro and um Let's get to it. Ask away. Let me ask about language. Should I keep this PG or should it be kind of uh, free? You, you can hard R it all you want, man. Hard okay. R it. I just, you know, I have nieces and nephews. I have my different like language levels depending on who I'm around. So if we can go unfettered, hell yeah. You mean fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike's, you know, Mike's a sailor. He curses every time on the show, like just insanely. Yeah. So can, it's and you fine. can tell, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, uh, there's just no, no filter here. Uh, I'm, I'm, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 
so Sam, I guess let's just kind of start off from the beginning. Um, I know you've been doing music. So you're originally from Chicago, correct? Correct. Now, I have to ask you something. House music is a very deep part of who I am. I'd imagine house must be a part of you are of you as well, right? Well, interesting that you asked that because right now I'm working, I'm taking a break from a session with a producer named Smoko Ono, who's from Chicago, and we're doing like house type of stuff. Uh, so I, I will say I was what we call a jazz Nazi growing up, meaning I pretty much only listened to jazz when I was in like high school. And then I moved to New Jersey and New York for college. So I wasn't tapped into the Chicago scene other than jazz stuff, really. And like the basement punk shows we used to have um, until later in life. So house music didn't play a pivotal role in my musical development, but as I've gone back and learned, um, you know, more about styles I hadn't checked out in the past, yes, I've gotten into it. And I, I worked with the brand new heavies for a little while. I played in their touring band and they had a lot of house like influence and we got to meet Ron Trent came to one of our shows. So I started learning like this more of like the history after the fact but Chicago, just, I mean, the music scene there has has so much to offer. And there's whatever little scene you're into, there's, there's been influential and very cool stuff that's come out of Chicago and brewed in Chicago. And in some cases, never left Chicago. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, especially when we talk about house, there is very, other than maybe Europe, there's very few places that have like treated house the way Chicago does. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's very interesting that you say that. Um, Mike, you're a big jazz guy. He's the jazz guy on the show. I'm not really big into mm. jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any, uh, are you aware of any jazz artists in Chicago, uh, Mike? I'm not. I, I'm actually uh, just spent the past week in New Orleans and uh, from there originally. And, but I would imagine, I, I'm not familiar with, with Chicago jazz and, and such that there is a difference in the sound, right, Sam? Yes. I would say nowadays with everything being globalized and everyone having access to different types of music and jazz having become institutionalized, not in the way of like being imprisoned by a sound, but more that a lot of jazz people really came out of school. Almost anyone now playing jazz professionally studied and either went to college for it or at least had a high school jazz band and stuff. So that being said, Chicago, if you're going way back, there was a, you know, as jazz kind of progressed from the, like the Kansas City and New Orleans and Chicago, and then kind of New York ended up being the epicenter of it eventually. Um, Chicago more than had its own sound, like overall, there's I think maybe more sub sounds or things that people got into, but really when I was coming up there, there Chicago sound wasn't necessarily different than like the New York sound. It's just in New York, there was more people doing it and more people at a high level and more places to play, but there were still great players in Chicago. New Orleans is different. New Orleans still retains its musical identity kind of apart from other places. Uh, but Chicago, the jazz scene, I mean, it's a sponge in a great way. Now, you did have certain really innovative acts come out of Chicago. Uh, the Art Ensemble of Chicago and the AACM 
was like an experimental collective, I guess, for lack of a better word. Well, that's probably the best word I could use actually as a collective. <laughs> and from that have spawned, you know, generations of people doing more experimental jazz with a Chicago identity, I would say. Um, but again, since everything's so globalized now um, in the jazz world, you just have you know, people might be doing something that sounds European, but they're based in the U.S. or vice versa. Or... Did you uh, did you do a bunch of uh, school yourself when you were learning how to play music? And for sure, basically, I'm like part. My musicianship is definitely part super learned in school, and then part street learning from the scene. When I was a kid growing up, I took piano lessons from when I was four. And wasn't that into, I was into it enough. My parents weren't like stage parents. They didn't really want me to be a musician professionally, but they essentially wanted their money's worth from the piano lessons. So made sure I practiced my half hour a day. And then once I got into jazz, when I was in middle school, I started studying at Alan Swain Studios, which was like a specifically jazz piano studio in Evanston, Illinois. And, you know, they had a, Alan, first I studied with another teacher named Eric, and then I went to Alan, the head of it. He had a method of like how you should be practicing different things at the same time. There was books that you learned out of. It became less clinical as I got more advanced, but like I was studying. And then I went to a high school called New Trier High School, which had a strong music program. We had four jazz bands. Um, and so I learned there, I did after school Midwest young art. It was like a, on Saturdays, like thing you could go to for like a jazz combo. Then I studied at William Patterson university jazz studies major. So I did that. And I, and then once I got on the scene and started playing professionally, especially when I started getting into R and B and hip hop, there's no real school for that. You have to get the feel together. And and I wasn't particularly good at playing hip hop when I first started. Like I remember one of the first hip hop gigs I did, they wanted, we were playing still DRE, the Dr. Dre song. And I like wasn't playing that piano riff with enough swag. And the guy's like, man, you got to play that more hip hop. So <laughs> I, I don't inherently have, I didn't inherently have like a knack for hip hop without having really gone listened, learned it, played with people, started producing, working with, uh, you know, with other people in the studio. And um, my production partner at the time was from the South Bronx and grew up when hip hop was created. So that's where kind wow. of the street and learning on the job part of my musicianship came. And really they kind of congeal together into what helps me be able to do what I do now. Wow, that that's your education is impressive as shit. <laughs> yeah, you know that's, a, that's so that's so impressive. My, that's uh, like better than regular education, man. <laughs> I mean, you got it's it's important to learn. I'm always learning. I always want to learn from every every situation, everybody, and not in a corny way. I feel like that's almost my part of my calling in a way because I've been so I've. I feel like I love to serve the music and serve the situation of whatever I'm in. You know, I do do things as a band leader and have put out some records of my own, but really mainly what I've done in my career has been help facilitate an artist's vision. 
you know, whether it's playing jazz with them or producing or just working whatever kind of lane I'm supposed to fill in any situation. Um, you know, working with other producers, sometimes I'll literally just come in and add a, if they need a keyboard sound or organ or something through, through the years, you have to be listening and learning, like kind of got to be a sponge and I'm, yeah. I'm definitely verbose and I can talk a lot, but I try to make sure that I'm always listening to what other people are saying. And by that, you know, you learn that way because school ends at a certain point and life takes over. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, that belongs on a t-shirt, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like it's created a really balanced, uh, you know, you really balanced in both sides of the, you know, the educational and then just the hands-on learning from other people um, and being able to soak it in. So sounds like it, it sounds like it's, it's done well for you so far. For sure. You know, I'm a number of years in, hopefully it will stay that way. But you know, if you keep evolving and keep learning and, and the world changes fast now, obviously it's no secret. The music business is as affected by technology as anything, if not more than some businesses, but also it, it has the old guard labels, publishers, etc., that are set up, you know, to set up a company that large, it's playing by the rules that were when it was set up, you know, and they evolve slower and they've been traditionally slow to embrace change. So like you both have a business the people on the ground level um, are, you know, more and more tech savvy and ready to, you know, alter their approach and learn new skills, learn new ways to get music out. And then you have the gatekeeper institutions holding that process back a bit. But there's definitely a big shift happening now, has been, will will be, you never know, like, Streaming is, is how everyone listens to music now. It would be unwise to say that's not going to change just because it doesn't feel like it There's would be something better. Ten, you know, 10 years ago, for example, and I realize I'm tangenting, but I feel like it. that's just kind of how these things go. Absolutely. You know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, you needed – people worried about pirating music because you could download music easily, Right. You could download as much as you wanted. Now, nobody's even trying to have files on their phone. Everyone thing, everyone wants stuff to be streamed, be in a cloud. You know, you you don't have to worry about somebody going on LimeWire or torrenting your album because they're not even trying to have that that shit on there. They're not even playing stuff out of a music player. So yeah. even that concept alone to to reflect back on and think about now, data is only going to get faster there's going to be new things to use. So I just think like, again, I guess this ties back to the constant learning and adapting to things. Yes, it's worked for me so far. I always feel that there's areas of improvement, but I also think that, you know, you just got to keep, again, keep learning and keep, keep moving with, uh, you know, the tide and still developing your own kind of voice in the process of that. Yeah. I think, um, 
I wanted to touch on something that you said about like technology changing and stuff. You know, we're in the world of like crypto and the world of NFTs. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot recently that music is going to be a huge part eventually of the NFT world. And I know it kind of is now, but that to me, like that seems like the most logical next step, right? Is that world? Would you agree with that or? I totally agree. I'm in the process of learning more myself, though I did attend like a, like a video conference with, um, my management team had set up with a couple people that are experts in the field and we touched on it and I know it's complicated, but it's also not that complicated. I mean, you're going to sell some, I mean, maybe how, how it's like the asset is classified or stored, you know, on the, um, on the blockchain or whatever is complicated, but it comes down to, do you have something someone wants to buy? Essentially it's, and so like you can study NFTs all you want. And again, I plan to study the, the technology of it more. However, it boils down to, are you making something someone's interested in artistically and that they can attach value to it? Now I know there's different things you can do with how you sell them. If it's a piece of the intellectual, if it's a, you know, if it's a piece of the publishing or if it's accompanied by access to future concerts, etc. cetera. Um, but what it really does is democratizes music even more because you do need to get exposure for people to hear you, to know that they're your fan, to then want to buy an NFT of your work. But right. it's just another way to get money directly to an artist. Now, as a songwriter, NFTs are especially appealing because streaming yeah. pays songwriters, for lack of a better word, straight dog shit. Now, it's not totally their fault because the rate is set by an arcane thing known as the, um, the rate courts. Uh, there was a consent decree. I'm not going to get into all that. But basically, they pay as much as they have to according to the government. Yeah. It's not a negotiated rate. So that's not going to change anytime soon, if ever. So as a songwriter, your our work has become devalued by streaming. But we can now sell it. We can sell pieces of it and the whole value of it, A, it's kind of relative like anything. Its value is what someone will pay for it. But it just yeah. opens up a whole new world of what it what can be done with it. It's like the stock market and tech companies that don't make any money have some of the big – the most prof, the, the most highly valued stock you know, in the world. Billion-dollar companies don't turn a profit and won't anytime soon. Spotify, there is – no chance they're turning a profit in the foreseeable future. They just can't. They don't have anything that generates enough money for what they charge. As a lot of other companies, the same thing. So why can't a music asset be sold for a lot more than it might technically be worth or generate now? It's all, yeah. it's like a Wild West situation. And I love that about it. I love democratizing shit. I love putting value back into songwriting um, because it does have a lot of value to people. Songs are you know, sure. the currency of the music world and it's soundtrack to people's lives and people listen to music all day long. Um, but it, it's again, it's like an arcane structure, an old, old guard way of thinking currently intersecting with the modern music world is currently shafting songwriters. But I like the fact that the, who, I never even 
thought of what an NFT, I mean, who even thought that was even a thing? It's like for a lot of us that aren't, I'm not like up on all the latest crypto tech whole like department of life. I'm getting more into it now, you know, but some people have been in the know for a while. For me and a lot of people, this is a thing that fell out of the sky as a concept that people are willing to spend money on. So, so did streaming. So there's always going to be something coming out of the sky. And if we as creators can make it work for us without a lot of middlemen and people trying to gatekeep and skim off the top, like the mafia with Vegas, you know, it's better. It's it's better for, Mm -hmm. it's better for all of us. You know, for artists, it's, it's a way, you know, for you to keep making money once 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 the art is done and it's made and it's out there, this might be a little different than music because, you know, music you do get paid for the streamer. If someone buys a CD that, or mm-hmm. you do live performances, you're still getting paid. But, you know, for an artist, if you if you create a piece of art and you sell it and then it gets resold, you're not making any more money off of it, even if it's sold yeah. for a profit. And so the NFT kind of is a way of, of of stopping that, which I think is great. And. And yeah, like you said, we're just in the in the very beginning of it with the we're in the wild west, um, super for wild sure. west, I think, with music. Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. I was in a in that teleconference. I I mean, it makes it sound more official than it was. I think it was just a group like Google Meet. <laughs> they were talking about all the different ways you can do. It. You could sell a piece of your song that you then retain some rights to. So like, or you can just sell a piece of, of something that you have and they get, you know, there's different ways you can continually get paid off of it. And the person that purchased it can get paid off of it. If it gets sampled and using something else then you know, now like anything in the music world, I like how the blockchain makes the record of it clear. Um, But in terms of getting that money to all the various rights holders, that always can be tricky and there will have to be some sort of like, you know, third party probably that distributes the money that keeps track of it, whatever. Um, but sure. I, I like that again, this is a, it's a good thing and wild west and kind of for, you know, it's everlasting, you know, yeah. like the, the, the permanence of the blockchain to me is, um, it's amazing that it's like, virtual and permanent at the same time mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think um what, what i find interesting too about what you're saying it's like especially when you have like very like impactful songs you know you being a songwriter like you can take that and uh, you know you did that song with uh the, with kanye uh hurricane right and, like if you could sell a piece of that just a piece that you did i'm sure you could get a shit ton of money for it <laughs> yeah and you know what probably be more money than i'll make from streaming because that has yeah. value to people. A piece of a Kanye West single that people seem to really like the song. I've made others, like I can even give you some examples like Heart Don't Stand a Chance is an Anderson Pack song that a lot of people absolutely love that song. He opens the show with it. You can't really call it a hit because it wasn't like on the radio or anything like that. But it's like, it's a marquee song of his. It doesn't yeah. earn a lot of money. Um, in royalties because it's streamed it's streamed you know millions of times but the rate isn't that high and it hasn't been uh, sync licensed very often 
I would know because I co-wrote it. So I, I get a notification and see on my statement, you know, it's been synced a few times, but really it's just a popular song to a lot. It's a meaningful song to a lot of people. So if somebody yeah. that's a big fan would want to buy a piece of that song, that it could have a lot more mon, and I don't mean value like in what it's worth like to a human. It could actually have more yeah. monetary value because it's it's valuable to somebody on like a free market of buying a piece of it, as opposed to the money it generates via streaming or however many actual physical sales. And I have done other songs like that too. I mean, many people have. You might have a song that only like a thousand people really listen to, but it might be have changed their life. And that's one of the best things about music. And it's like a win-win. If somebody where a piece of art means so much to them can actually own it and the artist can be compensated in a way that helps them keep creating, it's like a win-win. I don't see it as trying to get over on fans by any means. I think, screw it. I'll sell, you know, I'm totally open to selling parts of my catalog. Actually, now one of the biggest things in, in the songwriting world is that people are vastly overpaying for song catalogs. There's a few companies that oh, are wow. paying crazy amounts of money, m way more than they generate currently, with the hopes that you know maybe they have their eyes on NFT type of situations or just having more opportunities to monetize the songs in the future. But there's a there's a company called Hypnosis that I mean there's they have a few companies within there but they all have the name Hypnosis on them. They're traded on the London Stock Exchange now. All they do is buy songwriting catalogs, and they're like making waves, and they have like billions and billions and billions of dollars in in ass in song assets. Well, I don't know if it's that many billions, but you know what I'm saying. It's like they're in the billion right. category of that and um so people are already getting hip to selling their songs they're just doing it that's more of an old school way you sell it to another company or a fund as opposed to this selling direct to whoever man when you uh sam when you work with a guy like anderson pack i mean he you know obviously very talented songwriter do you and he kind of come together i mean i i, I guess you know, I'm sure he has a concept for a song, but when you come together, does it become its own thing that you guys work on together? Or do you come to him with, hey, I have this idea for a song I'd love to see what you write to it. Here's here's kind of a beat I have structured. Like, what is it like to work with a dude like that? Well, I can give you exactly what it was like to work with Anderson himself, because every artist is different. So I did three or four sessions with Anderson. So I... um. For years, uh, DJ Khalil, the producer who I've worked with on a lot, on a lot of the big records that I've done, and just a lot in general, he's probably my closest collaborator over the last few years. Um, I had a, I rented a room at a studio he had built. We had to move out of there right before COVID, but we were there for about eight years together. And a lot of artists would just come through. You know, we, either the sessions would be organized in advance or Khalil would just be like, yo, so-and-so's pulling up. So in that case, in the case of Anderson, I had heard of him only because he had, he had been on the Dr. Dre Compton album. He wasn't really known. He had changed his name uh, shortly before that from Breezy Lovejoy to Anderson Pack. 
So I'd heard him on, on a song and I thought he was dope. And so Khalil was like, yo, Anderson Pack's going to come by tonight. And so, cause we were always there. Like I had my room, Dan Seif, other guy that we work a lot with, uh, who it also worked on the Kanye and the Anderson stuff. He had his room. So we were usually just around if we weren't somewhere else working. So I was like, oh, okay. So we set up, Khalil set up, he had these electronic drums. They're called V drums. It's like, uh, essentially they plug in, they have like kind of okay sounds in them, but it's just some drum pads that you play like a drum set and you can plug it into a computer with a MIDI connection. And then you can pick sounds from the computer that you want to use. So Khalil loaded up like a dope sounding drum kit of sounds. And, um, then I got on keys and, uh, Dan Seif got on the bass. He also plays guitar, but we started keys, bass and Anderson on drums on the V drums and then put a mic Khalil put a mic there so he could kind of like sing ideas and we just came up with heart don't stand a chance wow very quick it was within one session it was done and i think the mix that Khalil wow. did is actually the mix on the album don't quote me on that um but you know producers will just do the best mix they can at the end you know whenever i'm producing a track i i, I mix it the best i can but you you often assume they'll they'll get it mixed later, but it was pretty late in the album process. So that's how we worked on that. We kind of just started jamming. I remember playing the chords that are the intro of that song at some point. And I don't remember how exactly we structured it out, but it came together pretty quickly. And then same thing with your prime, the other song that the, you know, Khalil, myself and Dan, did with Anderson on um, Malibu. I remember we were in a session and um, I had to go, I had a gig that night in downtown LA, like pretty close to where our studio was. We had a session, I think it was set to start at seven and Anderson was like around 45 minutes late. And I had to be at this gig probably at nine or eight, it started at nine. So I, I was like, yo man, it's great to see you again. You know, I basically, I only have like 45 minutes. So I'm, of course you guys work after I'm gone, but let's get what we can get done. Done. Came up with four sections of a song. I went to do the gig, came back at like one thirty in the morning. Song was done. Vocals were all done. Khalil was like tweaking stuff. I added a couple keyboard parts and that shit was done. Now Anderson Pack is an absolutely phenomenal musician. So it was easy to create on the spot and he wrote quickly. Then I later found out via an Instagram post he put up that that hard don't stand a chance was the first song he ever wrote from the drums, which was kind of crazy. Oh, And so then the next time that we had all worked with him, he now had his own studio set up. We went over there and now he always has a drum set with a mic set up. He had an a, uh, electronic drum set and a mic set up. So like he's kind of adopted that as a, a thing that works for him. And also the Malibu album was, you know, transcendental for him in a way. It really kind of broke him. It was the album that, that you know, he really established through. So maybe that made sense. But so that's how it was to specifically work with Anderson. Any... Mo mm -hmm. Artists 
some artists have a similar process where like you'll start coming up with a track idea they'll write stuff to it go record it uh sometimes people will bring in an idea that you work around most of the time when i work on stuff it's we start with the music side first mm-hmm. chords drums and then go with the vocals from there yeah and is it is it often that people come to you because they you have a specific kind of sound that people people want to have on their song you know they know the heart don't stand a chance you know, they know the song you do with Kanye. So they're looking for a specific kind of vibe that you are going to bring. Um, you know, possibly I have done a lot of different styles. So I think the people that I work with consistently know that I can kind of bring whatever and that I'm fast and I also play trumpet and I can play keys and I have a good bank of sounds and I can, kind of achieve I can usually achieve what someone wants I mean not you know sometimes no but I'm good about going in whatever direction you need and I've I've spent a lot of time learning how to do things that sound like genre appropriate you know like if you want some strings that sound like a 70s thing or if you want like a Brazilian funk type of thing or if you want some distorted guitar-ish type of stuff I, I, I can get sonically and stylistically have it sound good and sound real. You know, there's always a human element to what I do for people that I don't know. Maybe they hear a record. They're like, I want that sound. I'll call it. They might not know my whole catalog or that um, I'm like a highly trained musician that can also edit my shit down. That's kind of, that's a key. I will say to tangent on that when I just in terms of like, if people seek you out for a certain sound and, and how that can, that can go into like being pigeonholed. Um, when I first started doing like songwriting, R and B hip hop stuff, I was a full-time jazz musician. And at that time you didn't really want to tell people you were a jazz musician because they would assume that you were shit was too complicated you couldn't edit it down. It was going to be too much. So I didn't even really bother telling people that I was working with in that world that I was a jazz player. Now that's totally switched. That's one of the first things I'll tell people. Obviously I can point now to a lot of records I've done. They can hear, I know how to do three chord, you know, three note chords and do simple stuff. But people are interested more and more in embracing musicality. And sometimes it's just, you know, you add a little flavor to a chord here or there, but you still keep it more in the pocket of a, of a pop type of sound. And sometimes people are interested in going super like weird or very interesting chord progressions. Uh, they may want you to take a solo, come up with lines. I'm good with melody lines too little you know ear candy stuff but like kind of hooks within the song instrumental hooks and um so i think if you're asking in terms of me someone might come to me for a specific sound but the more we work together they know we could get any kind of any type of sound we want we might want to get together and of course the uh, the people i work with i always rely on whoever i'm working with to bring what they bring to the table and usually they enhance what i do even if it's just giving a different perspective or filtering the sound differently or, you know, whatever. 
hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know it's probably different for, for each, each person you work with. And I don't know, in my mind, I just, I have a lot of, I have a couple of friends who are also produce uh, various types of music, hip hop, electronic music, and they kind of have like a sound bank, if you will, of just stuff that they've worked on and hasn't really seen the light of day. And maybe sometimes you bring someone in, you show them a, a little piece of it, and then you have a conversation about it, and then maybe it turns into this whole new thing that was a totally different direction from where it was when you first started working on it. Um, 100%. No, just, that, that process is, is, is fun to me. And uh, I don't know. Hell yeah. Um, I've made a few. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just tell you because, you know, I, I'm kind of beating around the bush here. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was like, let's just spit it out. <laughs> I, I've, I've, in the past, uh, I recorded a few... Uh, an underground hip hop albums under the name Captain Asshole. And, oh, um, <laughs> I love that name. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, it was like this alternative. I mean, obviously, right now I'm very, uh, I seem like I'm somewhat sedated, but that's from spending a week in New Orleans and I'm still recovering. <laughs> but, I, I, sponsor, I sponsor that, that self imposed sedation. You're going to need a little break. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or else I'm going to die. Um, <laughs> anyways, you got the you have a Crescent City hoodie on right now. I do, yes. Nice. Uh, All right, continue. Uh, I will stop interrupting. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> um, so, anyways, but this Captain Asso would be like the alter ego, right? Of like the things you really want to say to the world or to why society is fucked up in the way it is, and um, and yeah, and so like sometimes I'd have an idea uh, to work with someone. Sometimes um, the beat or instrumental comes and then it, yeah, and it becomes this new thing. And to me, that process is always fun because it's like you as an artist have your own vision, your own baby. And then when you work with someone, especially in a studio with the two of you getting down or maybe more then you, I guess, then you create a baby together, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes, the, sometimes the baby has five parents. It just depends on how many people are in the room. Do you, I mean, that's nobody judges, you know, man. Speaking of things, speaking of things that just can take what seems normal and make it arbitrary. Even the fact that human beings, it takes two to make a baby. You could have a species where it takes four people to make a baby, right? Isn't that just arbitrary? So that's a little meta maybe for this conversation, but <laughs> the whole way that the music industry it. operates is arbitrary. The whole convention is arbitrary. Racism is arbitrary. It's just because it's been there and people just accept it as like, that's how stuff is. I say, fuck that. I mean, we might as well make new rules that benefit more of us and make yeah. new conventions in a way. Like some some conventions that have that have developed make sense. Some really don't really make any sense and probably don't even serve most people in the world. We just accept that that's how it is. So um, essentially we started talking about this from making a baby in the studio. But <laughs> I guess the, one of the big themes of this is fuck convention, we're on to the future. But yes, the collaboration in the studio, or like you mentioned having an alter ego, mm -hmm. um, that 
you know, sometimes I feel like I have multiple musical alter egos because you're like doing something totally different in different sessions or, or like I'll play different roles in different sessions. You know, like I do a lot of producing now. Um, for years, I didn't really produce that much. And I was just writing with other producers and um, and also would, would be a studio musician, be on a gig, be leading my own band, be playing in someone else's band be a musical director of a band, be a side person that listens to the musical director, be playing a thing that's just acoustic piano, be playing something where it's all programmed synthesizer sounds. Um, I could be producing with another producer who does all the drums. I could be the one doing all the drum. You know, that's rare, but I've done it where I don't even do any of the musical stuff, really. I just take what other people have done and then I put it together and do drums or there's even a couple of tracks I produced with this band, Yakul, where most of what I did was mixing. And I'm not even really a mixer like that. I've gotten much better at it. But my production perspective in that case, all of the music was recorded already. They wanted me to do creative mixing and like treating the sounds. And so it's like you have – it's like you can have so many alter egos. I kind of choose to do that all under the name Sam Barsh, but – I did release. So that's your actual name, right? No, uh, I mean that's no. my stage name. My ah. my full name is Bar ah. Barsheshet. Sam Sam Barsheshet. It's um ah, a okay. very difficult hyphenated name. It's Aramaic. Um, it is very old. It's my dad's a it. uh, Moroccan Jew, and somehow the name lasted through probably from Israel to wherever they were kicked out and settled in Spain and Morocco, back to Israel, back to America, and it's still the same name. So it's kind of cool because there's not that many names that are right. that old that still exist. So I'm never going to change it legally. But it's it's fairly it inconvenient for um, for you know Googling purposes or pronunciation purposes. So – People called me Barsh for years anyway. I just It just made sense to be, go by Sam Barsh. You know, I, I have to bring this up since we robbed, you know, Jewish culture and stuff. I know you've done a lot of work with Kosha Dills. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Kosha. Love um, Kosha. He, yeah. Now, he's like blowing up right now because of the whole Fat Joe thing, right? Yeah. I mean, look, Kosha is, a, is one of the coldest hustlers I know. And by cold, I don't mean cold-hearted. I mean, he's just nonstop, dude. Like he'll just do his stuff. He'll get like the, I, I'll, I can just give a little backstory. So I met Kosha years ago. We either were introduced to, through his old manager or we even met before that in New Jersey. Cause I used to play open mics, uh, hip hop open mics in like New Brunswick, New Jersey. Shout out to Pat Van Dyke, PVD. He's the one I did those with. And, um, but in any case, we reconnected his old manager, Brandon introduced us like 10 years ago in LA and we got together, did a couple sessions. And then I didn't talk to him for a few years here and there, you know, on social media. And then one day I was listening to one of the songs we had done on my iTunes. I was like, yo, this was tight. So I hit up Kosha. I was like, yo man, hope you're doing well. Um, down to collab at some point again. And he was like, yo, I'm going into the studio in a couple days send me some beats. And I had been um, 
my godson snowball beats uh i'm he's my godson via marriage my wife's godson he's a really dope producer he's from boise idaho uh random well not random if you're from idaho but you know what i'm saying i try not to shit on (laughs) where people are from because everyone's from somewhere um Mm -hmm. and it doesn't you know you shouldn't be ashamed of where you're from but you wouldn't expect like a gangly like 15 year old from Boise to be making like he he's he's older than 15 now but at the time I found out he was a producer and then he had been like afraid to play me his stuff but then he sent me some I was like yo this is hard so I had sent him a bunch of instrumentals I had done and he had made a bunch of beats and put them in a Dropbox where all the stems were there it was all labeled and organized and I was like I don't usually make beats that I have lying around. I'm, they're usually made in a session for a specific purpose. So I was like, you know what? I got all these beats that I just did with Snowball and I just sent Kosha the Dropbox link. I wouldn't even usually do that with wow. someone, send him all the stems of the files, but I know Kosha, he's trustworthy. And he freaking recorded like six or seven songs in like a span of like two days. And I think the second day he went to Matis Yahoo's studio. He had hired, like he had, he had hired, hired maybe is the wrong word. He had Matis as a feature. He had, he had paid him or they made some sort of a trade where Matis was going to do a feature. And they did that song to one of the beats I'd sent him. So like off the bat, we just had like six or seven songs just because I sent him this folder and that's how like quick he works. And then we did a few more and we've worked. I haven't seen him in two years, but we've, we've spoken on the phone a couple of times, but um, yeah. So he's just a hustler and he's, that's awesome. He's always, he's always ready to do something topical, you know, like yeah. if something yes. happens that he has that, that had some relevance to him or that he feels like he can contribute to, he'll get a song done and like a video like quickly. That, yeah, that's I, I really respect his game because like I discovered him a, a while back through um, he did a track with Cascade, and then when I found like the uh, connection of you and him, I was like, whoa, that's crazy! Like I didn't realize you did so much work of his. So because I I, I want to reach out to him soon to have him see if I can get him on the show as well. Oh, for sure, he'd love to be on. I spoke to him like two weeks ago. Um, okay. Yeah, so that he's just another example of somebody that like. Well, I don't know about another because I don't know if we talked about anyone else quite like Koja Dills on this podcast so far. (laughs) But he's just an example of somebody that – well, actually, no. He's always willing to evolve, learn, make new things happen for himself, learn the game. But he's genuine. You know, it's it's difficult. I think it's it's difficult often for white rappers to be seen as, you know – honest with their work or whatever a lot of people try to like use some sort of inflection in their speaking that isn't what they usually sound like you know (laughs) um that's that's just the truth you know or they're or they're always compared to eminem in some way right yeah that's also another yeah now hip-hop is a decidedly black american art form of course now yes behind the scenes there's always been different type of people collaborating sampled from different music Etc. You know, again, I'm I've always been a student of music, and I always, when I got into jazz, my first term paper I ever wrote, when eighth grade, was how slavery, um, essentially, 
was the foundation of the creation of the blues and jazz jazz when it mixed with like classical harmony and stuff so i've always been interested in shown try to show respect to the source of the music that i find that i love and really all american music for the most part could be considered black music because of the roots of it from the rhythm and blues etc but so back to white rappers even being as a white guy myself i'm always a little I want to be convinced that the music sounds honest and that they're not just kind of either appropriating or just it's, or if if it's just not honest music, you don't even have to be an appropriator to make dishonest music. You can just be making music that doesn't sound honest to who you are, you know, but Kosha, I feel he has his own thing, you know, yeah. He's Kosha Dills, like his sound is his sound, and I love artists like that that somehow find a way yep. to f- to put who they are into a style of music that is not like from maybe maybe there is a visual cognitive dissonance, but when he does it, it works. I think it's cool. Yeah, I think when we talk about like you know an artist like Kosha Dills, I I now have to bring it to an artist like you know you worked with Kanye West. What was that? I mean, that must have been quite the experience. I didn't work in the room with Kanye. It's funny because oh really? I didn't. I, most of the people I've worked with, I have worked in the room with them, uh, but there's a few I haven't. I also I've done a number of songs with Logic. Yes, yeah. I have yeah. never met Logic. That stuff is always like Khalil's tight with them. So we'll, we can, we'll work on stuff and he'll send it over and, and, or I'm trying to think there's not that many other like more notable artists that I've never met. There might be a couple, but a oh, Snoop gotcha. I've never, I've never been in the room with. Um, but yeah, Kanye essentially, um, it was, a uh, you know, with DJ Khalil, like at our old studio, especially we were always doing like making samples, sample sessions. And then Khalil would cut him up and do, and then send him out to, to other producers or artists or make beats out of them. So that was just a situation where me, Josh Meese, and Dan Seif were jamming, coming up with, you know, I think the session that 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 the sample from Hurricane was 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 it was long. There's a video up of, of an interview that where Khalil says the length of time it was, but it was long a long session. And so he sent that piece out to a couple of the producers that work with Kanye in the room, right? Regular, I believe. Wow. And then beat got made. The song was supposed to come out three years ago. Didn't. Then it got changed a bunch of times. It got leaked a bunch of times. It's a bunch of versions of it. It was originally called 80 degrees. So if you go on YouTube and search Kanye 80 degrees, there's a bunch of versions. There's mashups where people took the, the old version and put it with the new version. So yes, I haven't met Kanye. I know people that work closely with him. Um, people seem to like working with him. I don't really actually, I don't have anything to say really. And I definitely don't, I don't have any tea. It's people seem. <laughs> no, I'm not looking for tea, but yeah. yeah, no, but I can't, I can't even tell you what the process was. I know he collaborates with a lot of gotcha. people. It's a lot of music by committee. As you can see by on the credits on his album, there's a lot of different writers and, and for sure producers and stuff on his track. So stuff gets sent around for different people to work on. And gotcha. that's definitely how hurricane came about. You can almost hear the progression of hurricane. If you go on YouTube and start from the ones that are from three and a half years ago to to now, 
you can hear how the vocals changed, different artists, how the production changed. Well, I think you can you can even hear it when you hear the 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 release version because it does feel very. I'll be mean, full disclosure. I'm not the, I'm not the biggest Kanye West fan. Gotcha. Uh, but I really liked I really liked Hurricane. I thought Hurricane was pretty damn good in my opinion. Go ahead. And when you, I was just say when you get a when there's like a Grammy that for a song, do you get like a note or a call or any kind of like hey thanks for your part in this track. Sam Barsh um, from a guy like Kanye, or or does he not get anything? Does Does Kanye send you a battle of Cristal? Probably <laughs> not. But yeah. one thing that has been cool is that the people in the trenches, I've I've gotten to I've gotten to connect with people, other people that worked on that project, whether in sessions with them or just people reaching out like on Instagram, like Yo, man, love you know have a bunch of your stuff, you know, your samples or whatever, like your dope, like people I didn't know, but then we're on the same song together. And, um, that's cool. Kanye himself. I'm not, I'm not, he doesn't need to throw me a, a bone. You know, mm-hmm. he made a song. I co-wrote his single. I think that's enough of a bone for him to throw me. Yeah. He's a busy man. Artist. This is, this is how I approach this as I work with a lot of, I've worked with a lot of big name artists who have more notoriety, more money, et cetera, than me. When we're in the room together, we're peers creating. Um, I want to make sure that they're heard, but they're definitely, uh, my contributions are going to be listened to as well. That's why I'm there. Um, And then in the outside world, whatever, you know, we lead different lives. They got all type of other BS that they're doing. Um, I like to be shown respect, but if I don't know someone, I don't expect them to reach out. You know, if someone and I are friends and we've worked a lot together and we have each other's contact information and something becomes successful, then maybe I would be cool if they reached out. But again, if it's not a person that there's always a two-way reach out situation, I don't expect it. Mm -hmm. That is quite a bone to be thrown. Um, but, you know, I, I, the, the relationships that you build and, and, you know, when you get to put, you know, Grammy nominated, Grammy award winning on your, you know, on your resume, so to speak. I mean, I, I just, I don't know, what an accomplishment. And, um, you know, for all party, all parties involved. And uh, I don't know, I guess I'm just all that to say, like, I would think that there would be some kind of like, hey, but you know, I know Kanye's also got a lot of stuff going on in his head, so maybe he doesn't have to <laughs> yeah, have also, to thank every one who pressed a button or contributed a thing <laughs> on his track. He's watching Kim and Pete right now across the street. You know? Oh my gosh! I mean, you know, I know from the people I know that work with him closely, he seems gracious. You know, I know a couple of people that have worked yeah. with him for a long time, and these are people that are in demand and could do other work. So I think he treats his people well. Again, this is just anecdotal. But if we weren't in the room together and, you know, I, yeah. I'm the type of person I might seek out, like if I was an artist and somebody contributed to a song that I didn't know and their name ended up being on there and I found out what they did, maybe I would reach out. But I don't hold anybody to that. Look, I, you know, I don't, my social circle, I do have many friends from music, obviously, but the people I like spend time with socially outside of that are mainly musician people that aren't really involved in the, maybe in the, the Hollywoodish side of stuff and then non-musical friends. So right. 
my life is I'm very thankful. My life is full with with people and like positive things that don't have anything to do with uh, the notoriety side of the music world. So it doesn't really affect me one way or the other if someone I don't know uh, reaches out or not. Mm-hmm. If it's someone I know that, you know, we've put in a lot of work together and there's a situation where like they should, you feel like they should show you appreciation and they don't or whatever, that's a different story. But if it's someone I know, I just have, I talk to them. So I don't generally, I don't stress on people that I, I don't know. And yeah. the way that the music economy is today, I've worked on stuff with yeah. a lot of people I don't know. So... I mean, work is work, right? As long as it, you know, exactly, it's fun to do, right? Yeah. No, I'm not here to denigrate your question because it's not a stupid question. That's just how I feel personally. Um, I'm good, you know. <laughs> I do think I've for a long time, even before I met my wife, who's not from music, I had made the decision. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to date uh, music people because I do really like the separation of you know my life outside of music is not work right. related and then life inside uh, you know obviously it is it's work so i think maybe that's carried over into my approach to especially when i started working with more people that were actually famous in the jazz world yeah. no one's like really that famous they might be jazz famous but like when you start working with people that are like really really like can't walk down the street famous. I, you know, like I said, when we're in the room, I consider us creative peers outside the room. God bless. You know, you got a lot of more right. problems than to like send me a thank you <laughs> note. <laughs> right. Um, I, I have to ask when we're talking about like, you know, what you do and stuff now, do you offer your service like for anybody or like, like, let's say, let's say Mike wanted you to make a beat for him. Could, could that happen? Like, could he like pay you to do that? Or do you select everything on your own base? Sure. You know, I now, um, yes, basically the answer is generally yes. Especially <laughs> if it's just a beat. Um, some people want like, if it's an artist that wants me to produce them as, as a, as a vocalist and produce their like sound, I am more selective just because some people aren't, so, first of all, some people aren't as good as others. So like producing a vocalist takes a lot of time. I'm meticulous. I do like, to, I'm not to make sure the vocals sound really good. So, right. but in terms of if somebody just wants something that I created and I can obviously take some creative input. Yeah. I'm totally into it. Ah, okay. Well, Mike's going to reach out to you, huh? Hell yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, how I was, how I would say is, is there anyone that you, that in the industry that you really want to work with? And then you would tell me, and then I would say, well, what about working with a guy like Captain Asshole? <laughs> Captain Asshole is, is now on the list. I fuck with it. Oh. All right. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, send, you, I'll, I'll send you some files. Cool. <laughs> I hope so. I would love to see that, man. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be funny. Yeah. Um, Sam, uh, we do got to wrap up in a little bit, but I wanted to ask, you know, we're talking about all this um, producing and stuff you do, but you also did, uh, you also, I don't know if you, is, does it still exist, the Sam, Bar- the Sam Barsh Trio? Oh, yeah, for sure. We just did two yeah. shows in November. Okay, I was going to ask, so you guys are, you guys are still touring then, right? Yes, I mean, touring, 
loosely, I would well, say. <laughs> I gotcha. do. I, I like to. I book one-off gigs. You know, it's not my main priority though. I really enjoy it, and I want to do an album coming up. So awesome. I shout to Sam First Jazz Bar. It's it's a great club in LA. It's it's just coincidence that it shares a name with me. It's named after the owner Paul's uh, grandfather, I believe. Was his name was Sam First. But my friend David gotcha. Robert and Paul Salmon, the owner, and David Robert runs the club. He's also a great bass player. They actually just hit me up. To I don't even have to bother them. They'll just be like, yo, do you want to play these nights? Do you want to do a thing? So honestly, from them hitting me up to do shows at like a really nice club with a nice piano, it kind of reinvigorated my interest in doing trio shows. And um now they have a full like professional recording studio set up in the club and they have cameras. It's wow. it's really nice. It's a really it's a godsend, especially because the other really nice jazz club in LA closed at the start of COVID, unfortunately. Um I think they, they may have been leaning that way anyway, but COVID did them in. In any case, the Sandbars trio, we were actually gonna have a show in a couple of weeks, got pushed because of COVID, but it that's happening. Gotcha. Hopefully it's gonna be a shorter dip in things now right but yes there's plenty though i don't have many out many recorded uh music pieces of the sandbars trio on like streaming there's a there's a bunch of long sets on youtube you can there's some really well recorded really good stuff one a couple from sam first and then there's one from the 1905 a great jazz club in portland oregon we played there in november their streaming and sound is top notch so and the whole set is online on YouTube. Now, now, do you ever do any shows or come out come out to the Bay Area at all? You know, I played at um, the Black Cat a couple of times. Have you guys gone there? I, I know of it. I've never been there. It's before. in the Tenderloin. Um, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, it's hood. It's cool though. The, the band <laughs> yeah it's like it's uh... the band the van the band I went up with generator it's a collective of LA uh, musicians led by Ian roller a good friend of mine we play like all of our different all of our music you know different people in the band's music so I went with them a couple times and they parked the van by the club and you know I'm cool with the cut I like to be in, in grindy yeah. type of areas like it gives character, but you also have to keep eyes in the back of your head when you go. You know, I lived in in all different types of neighborhoods when I lived in New York, especially. And um, you need to learn how to move with where you are, right? So a couple guys left their like bags in the car, and I'm I'm on some like I don't leave shit in my car anywhere, like. And so of course, like it's almost funny. Like not only did someone break into the van, but they were like drinking out of a carton of milk there. It was like all like a half empty carton of milk, just sitting in like the cup holder of the driver's seat. And you know, some dude's iPad got stolen a couple of things. But I'm like, that's some San Francisco shit. Not only did somebody break into the car, they were just hanging out for like a, probably a couple hours. And I'm kind of like, you know what? They were listening to your music. Yeah. They deserve that. You don't leave your shit. You know, it's what it is in any case. So if you go to the, if you come to the black cat, it's an amazing place. Park at your own risk or, you know, take an Uber or whatever. But that's a great club. Shout out to Fritz, the owner, someone really trying to do something positive. So hopefully I'll be back there. Um, and I did play in the Bay shortly before COVID. I played in Berkeley 
Um, so it depends. Okay. I'm not touring that much now. If I do out of town stuff, it's stuff that I want to do. It's stuff that might be a shorter, shorter term situation since I'm really, you know, committed to being in the studio and committed to not being on tour just because our, you know, my home life with my wife is, it's, it's good. You know, I get a lot of latitude to do every, all the work I need to do, stay out super late, but I like having, and we kind of together, we, we have our thing. We like to have some time in the house together. Um, and, and I realized, you know, I learned, I won't tangent this too long, but I will say kind of, you know, you take life as a whole package, right? I found out that I was bipolar when I turned 30. And along with that, I just accepted like, you know, extreme swings of, of how I felt about life. And, you know, I'm glad that, you know, I figured it out. And I was staying with a couple of close friends of mine when I first moved to LA who helped alert me to my like behavioral swings. Um, so in any case, what I realized is that traveling a lot on tour, it does destabilize my emotional state to some extent. Now, obviously that's part of life and that's part of music, but I've, I've decided to structure my career to not be as much involved with touring. Um, and if it is traveling, you know, maybe I'm somewhere for a couple of days and go home or stuck in one place, stuck, you know, I just came back from Hawaii doing four shows in two weeks. That's the type of touring I, I, I fuck with. Um, but the <laughs> I Bay, I love going, to, yeah, I love going to the Bay. It's very close. So I'm sure I'll be performing there soon. And, um, well, if you ever come back out here, let us know, please. Cause that's, that's this is where we stay at the Bay. I will holler, dude. So many people yeah, I know are from time. the Bay. It's, it's. It's a good uh, wellspring of quality people. We we are going to be in, in L.A. in March. Are you doing anything in March for the shows at all? I'm sure I will be. And right now, most things are, are not booking that far in advance or I'm not gotcha. counting on it because you don't know. But a lot of the gigs I do do because I still do perform a lot, but it's, it's more like jazz or low-key shit in town. And I usually don't book that more than a couple weeks out. So by March, I know I'll have some stuff going on. Plus the Grammys might be delayed till March now. So there's always stuff going on around that. I usually have some events or, or I'll play at something. I've played at a couple of Grammy parties in the past. Um, We will definitely hit you up and see if we can see you play perform at all. Please. Yes. Uh, Mike, any last questions before we wrap up here? I'm excited to uh, get a Sam Barsh track on my 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 album. So uh, my uh, <laughs> my my fingers are shaking in excitement over here. You can't see. He's shaking but... in his boots. Fuck yeah! Yeah, <laughs> Some, something's shaking You're over shaking here. Shaking in your crust. <laughs> 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 Me, that's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sam, before we go, uh, where can our audience find you? Oh, easy to find. Sam Barsh for everything. S-A-M-B-A-R-S-H. SamBarsh.com. Sam Barsh is my Instagram. Sam Barsh. Just Google. Put that in on YouTube and you can find uh, Sam Barsh live if you want to see some of the live stuff. And then um, I have playlists of, of my stuff on Spotify. If you just look me up in playlists like production discography, songwriting discography, artist discography, um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, it, that's the nice thing about giving yourself a stage name. You can pick one that people can spell and find yes. and then not that many other people I, have. So I know what you mean, but my stage name is Uncle Dad, right? It's not my real name. <laughs> yeah, but with all as one word, it's easy to find. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Good man. He gets it. Uh, well, thank you so much, Sam, for taking time and speaking with us. We absolutely had a blast talking to you. I would love to talk to you again in the future, so maybe we'll connect in the future. Um, Hell yeah. But thank you, and uh, we wish you nothing but best of luck. And hey, what a great way to start the new year, talking to you. So thank you so much. Man, I mm-hmm. feel the same. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you reaching out. I'm glad we worked it out. And um, be in touch. Absolutely. All right. Sam. Take care, okay? All right, bye-bye.